All right. Well, I got a couple of announcements. Um, we do have free Bibles um, that are under the shelf, under the coat rack out there. So if you need a Bible, if you know anybody who needs a Bible uh, or anybody wants a Bible, they are there for you guys. Take them uh, freely and give them out freely. Um, today, is, of course, is Communion Sunday. So um, we are going to have, immediately following our second service, um, we're going to have a church cookout. We got hamburgers, we have hot dogs. Um, and uh, if, you, if anyone's brought up, I think there's probably a couple of dishes to pass people brought. But also our brother and sister, uh, Liz and Andy Yasinovsky, are going to give their testimony about uh, quite an amazing ordeal that they, that they went through last year and um, how the Lord really supernaturally preserved them through that. So they're going to give testimony today during that time. So I encourage you guys to come and join us for that. Uh, Wednesday, July 21st uh, is going to be our next adult Bible study. Uh, now that we're in the summer, it's going to be every Wednesday, the adult Bible study. Uh, and the youth are going to be meeting next on July 28th. And both of those are at 7 p.m. And then coming up in August, uh, August 9th at 6 p.m., we're going to have our adult dinner night out. Um, and that's uh, to, be, uh, to be decided where we're going to eat. And then August 15th will be our next communion and church picnic. So that's the announcements for this morning. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Joshua uh, chapter 7. <clears throat> it's weird, you don't hear pages anymore. Because you all got them on your phones now, don't you? It's weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's a couple of pages, a couple of old school people. It's not really the Bible unless it's on paper. And it has to be finely, finely thin, finely tuned onion leaf paper. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, Joshua chapter 7, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, Lord, and we ask that you would uh, cover these verses for us, Lord. We ask and pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, whatever it is that you would be uh, seeking and desiring to say to each heart this morning, Father, here um, live in, in the church, Lord, and Anybody who might be watching live online and anyone who might be watching after the fact, Father, I pray that you would have free reign in their hearts, Lord, to speak through your mighty word, uh, Lord, and that you would be instructing them and training them exactly what they must do, Father, and exactly how much you want them to be drawing closer and closer and closer into your arms, Father, and being, uh, allowing themselves to be transformed or to be being transformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, increase our faith, we ask and pray. Lord, help us to trust in you for everything in this life, Lord, and help us to put all of our hopes uh, on your son, Jesus Christ, and his soon return, Father, that that would be where our hope lies, Lord, not in anything that this world has to offer. Uh, we pray, Lord God, that you would give us the heart of uh, Joshua, Lord. We pray that you would give us a heart of courage, Lord, to follow after you, regardless of the odds, regardless of what we see around us, Lord. And like him, you would teach us that lesson that uh, any unclean thing in our lives, Father, must be removed uh, so that you can use us as you, as you truly desire to, Lord. So have your way in this place and in each of us, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So <clears throat> uh, Joshua chapter 7, uh, we are going to be talking about Achan's sin and the defeat at Ai. Now, if you go back to chapter 6, uh, in, which is right before the battle of Jericho, right at the time of the Battle of Jericho. It's actually right before the end of the Battle of Jericho, before they went in, before the walls came down. And in Joshua chapter 6, uh, verses 18 and 19, Joshua says this, talking to the men uh, who were going to be going into the city, and you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things. 
My sound out? The back? Okay. Chuck didn't like that, and he muted me. I don't under... <laughs> uh, and you, by all means, abstain. We need to read that again anyways. Abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord, and they shall come into the treasury of the, of the Lord. Uh, and that's a, that's a verse for all of us, to write that down in your notes, write that down in your, on your, the, the inside of the cover of your daily bread or whatever devotional you follow. You know, put it on your grease boards and your chalkboards at home. Uh, abstain from the accursed things. You know, what exactly are the accursed things? Well, it, it's, it's really m very simple. People like to make it difficult. Uh, this walk with the Lord is not that difficult. People like to make it difficult, uh, but it really isn't that difficult, okay? Whatever the Word of God says is His Word into your life, period. God will never, ever, 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 and I could say ever about a million billion times, He will never speak something into your life that goes contrary to the Word of God to his own word, his written word. Never. He will never. Well, it's okay for you. Well, your situation is different. Your situation is not different, and it's not okay for you. Whatever God's word says is what God's word says, and we must never, ever go against that, and we must never allow any, uh, anything to come into our lives that would influence us to go against what God's word says. And beyond that, what's actually written down in the written word this is one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit in your life. We talked about this many times, that you were created in the image of likeness of God, and He is a three-part being. He is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one, okay? And in the very beginning of Genesis, God says, let us create man in our image and in our likeness. And so God created you a three-part being. You have a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit. Now, Scripture teaches us that our spirit is dead. Our soul is dead because of sin. That is what separates us from God. It's not that God wants to be separated from you. It's because sin, that's the natural occurrence. If you have sin, if we have sin, which we all have sin, that separates us from God. He is a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's a just God. And sin cannot be in his presence. Therefore, if I have sin in my heart and in my life, guess what? I can't be in his presence right? And so the Bible teaches that we are dead. Remember when he said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one I've commanded you not to eat of, in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now we read on, they eat of it, and they don't drop dead on the floor, but something different happened. Spiritually, they died. Spiritually, a separation was made between them and God now where they could no longer have that fellowship with him. He could no longer come and sit with them and walk with them in the cool of the day and converse with them. Those days were over. The separation was made because of their own sin. And from that point forward begins God's redemptive process to bring mankind back to that original fellowship that he had, that they had with him in the garden. And so first we have the giving of the law. We, at first we have faith through Abraham, right? That's the first thing. God did that on purpose, right? He gave faith first. He shows us that through Abraham. And then going into the Moses and the children of Israel and the law and all the times of the kingdom of Israel, we have the giving of the law that was given. This is what it looks like. This is what it takes to have communion and fellowship with God, to walk in all of these laws. And of course, we know reading through the Old Testament, they were never able to keep the law. 
They were never able to do what God said was required to have a relationship with him. And so Jesus Christ came to this earth and he lived the law. He lived that perfect life exactly as God had laid it out. In the Old Testament, Jesus lived that life perfectly. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, right? I've come to fulfill the law. I'm going to show you two things. I'm going to show you how exactly how it looks to walk perfectly in accordance with my Father's will and in accordance with that law. And then I'm going to give myself as a ransom. I'm going to allow myself to be put to death and all of my blood to be shed and spilled out as the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. And then before Jesus, or well, actually before he was crucified, at the Last Supper that night, he said, if I leave you, I'll not leave you as orphans, right? But I'm going to send another comforter. And he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. Now, Scripture teaches us that his spirit makes our spirit alive. That confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he did die on the cross for my sins. I confess that I'm a sinner, and I ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. That's the act of being born again. And the scripture teaches us that now the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, makes my spirit alive that was before dead, right? I only ever acted in accordance with my soul. My soul is, is what makes Frank who Frank is, right? All the chicken wing talk, that comes from my soul, right? That's who I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's your soul. That's who you are, right? You deal in the economy of body and soul, body and soul. That's all you got until Jesus Christ comes into your life. And now your spirit is literally supernaturally raised from the dead. That's what baptism uh, represents, is raised from the dead into new life. And now God can speak to you. God can have a relationship with you. And God can speak into your heart. And that's the second part of the obedience. We know what God's word says, and we are bound to do it and obey it. And secondly, whatever God speaks into your heart. As you study the word, when you come to church, when you're having fellowship with other believers, when you're listening to a worship song, wherever you may be, whatever's going on in your life, and you hear that still small voice that speaks into your life, I want you to put that thing away, or I want you to walk away from that thing, or I want you to do this thing. And God wants us to be obedient to that voice, the voice of God in our hearts, in our lives, and abstain from the accursed things. That still goes true to this day. Now, we are not under the law. And we get to the end of chapter 7, we're going to be really glad we're not under the law. Okay? Because I've sinned the sin of Achan, you know, in a spiritual sense, through my actions, through my activities. I've taken what didn't belong to me. Or I've partook in the accursed things in my life <laughs> over and over again. Right? And because of Jesus Christ, I didn't have to be stoned to death right? That, that doesn't have to happen because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. But the, the lesson remains the same. Christian, abstain from the accursed things. Abstain from the accursed things. Well, I don't know what the accursed thing says. Two things. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. If you don't know your Bible, get to know your Bible. Read your Bible. Ask the Lord to help you to understand what it says. And then be willing to listen for his, listen for his voice. Because the bottom line is, I never hear an audible voice. I don't know about you. God bless you if you hear an audible voice. I never hear Frank. You know what I mean? Put down the Twinkie and pick up your Bible. You know, I don't ever hear that. It's like bumper cars with me. You know what I mean? Open and close doors. God just move forward and God opens doors. God closes doors and he kind of bounces me and bumps me around. What I operate 100% in when it comes to my relationship with God is faith. 
I have faith. I'm yours. I belong to you. Everything that I possess is yours. Here it is, good, bad, ugly, and indifferent, whatever it may be, right? The good and the bad. I belong to you. I'm yours to command. I'm in your hands. God, have your way. Have your way. You know, and, and if you're afraid to do that because of what he might do, you know, I remember being a young person who was afraid that God was going to send me into some horrible mission field, you know what I mean? Or some, some awful place that I would wish, oh God, you know, I'd be running like Jonah, you know what I mean? And I was afraid to ask God, God, have your way in me. Do, do your thing. Just, just don't let me fall, like David used to say, don't let me fall into the hands of men, right? And you put me where you want me to be. You do what you want me to do. He will lead you. He will guide you. So often, you don't know that God was speaking to you until after the fact. I feel like God's telling me to do this. I feel like God's telling me to do that. I'm going to step forward in faith. If the door slams in your face and sometimes breaks your nose in the process, that's a closed door. Don't go kicking, right? And if God opens the door and you go in and you receive blessing in your life because of that, then you can turn around and go, oh, yeah, it was the Lord. That was the Lord speaking to me. But abstain from the cursed things. They will make you accursed and they will trouble all of Israel. For us, that would, for us, that would be the church, the family. You know, the accursed things that we allow into our lives don't just affect us. They don't just affect us. I'm sick and tired of seeing lives broken. I'm sick and tired of seeing families broken apart and smashed down by the enemy. I'm sick and tired of seeing people ripped off from the, from the blessings that God really wants them to have in their lives because of the accursed things. <laughs> so chapter 7, the first word, but. Uh-oh, right? Uh-oh. As soon as you see that word, you know something's not right, but. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, uh, which is beside Beth-Avon on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them saying, go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. Now, we don't read anything here about Joshua inquiring of the Lord in this case. It doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't. We just don't read about that. Uh, and perhaps an assumption was made, it seems, uh, it seems an assumption was made, that because they had had that great time of fellowship with God, remember before they went into Jericho, right? They, they come across, the, here's what happens. They come across the Jordan River, right? The Jordan River opens up. It stands still, stops flowing, and, and, and rises up in a heap, and the ground is dry before them as the ark of the Lord with the priests carrying it stand there in the Jordan River, and all of the people go through the Jordan River on dry ground, uh, and they go to the other side of the Jordan, and they stand before the promised land, before Jericho, before the first battle that they're gonna, they're gonna take part in going into the promised land, and they have this beautiful time where, where well, it doesn't sound beautiful <laughs> to us, but in God's economy, it's this beautiful thing that takes place where God says all of the men who were wandering, the kids who came up during the wilderness time, they've not yet been circumcised into the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic law. I want you to circumcise all of the men 
and then we're going to celebrate Passover together. And then at that same point in time, now that they're into the promised land, the manna from heaven stopped and they began to partake in the fruit of the promised land. They had this beautiful time of fellowship before they went into Jericho. And it seems to me as though possibly they're still working off that same steam. Christian, you need fresh steam. You need fresh steam. Steam. You know, Jesus talks about not putting old wine into new wineskins or new wine into old wineskins because the wineskins will be burst and both the wineskins and the wine will be ruined. But instead, put new wine in new wineskins and old wine in old wineskins. You say, what the heck are you talking about, dude? You know, we're not just talking. Jesus wasn't talking about wine. What Jesus was talking about is let what God did in the past be what God did in the past and let what God wants to do now be what God wants to do now and let what God wants to do in the future be what God wants to do in the future and put it where it belongs. God, do a new work. God, do a fresh thing. And don't let me go running ahead of you or behind you or trying to make your will fit into this old way. God, do your thing. And do something fresh and do something new in our fellowship, in our homes, in my place of employment, wherever the case may be. Lord, do something new, do something fresh. Hey, I need fresh steam, right? I can't just still be going from an old pastor's conference I went to 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Where it was just, you know, you know those times. You know what I'm talking about, right? The disciples, they go up on the, on the side of the hill with Jesus and he's, I mean, think of this, okay? Jesus is transfigured. Before them, he's glorified. He's radiating, and Moses and Elijah appear. There's Peter. Okay, can you imagine? You're you're Peter, and you're there, and that's what you see. And Peter is obviously absolutely floored, blessed. Doesn't even begin to cover it. So what does he want to do? He wants to build three tabernacles, right? Three houses, so that they can just stay there and live there, right? And God says, "This is my son. Hear him, Peter. Hear him." And they got to go off. You can't stay up on the mountaintop. You can't stay up on the mountaintop forever. Every single time you're on a mountaintop, there's a valley coming, right? And God uses the mountaintop experiences in our lives to give us the steam, with the steam, of course, being the Holy Spirit, to fight those battles in the valley, to fight those battles in Canaan, the Canaan of our lives. But we can't just rest on our laurels and just go off that same steam the rest of our lives. God, do a fresh work in my heart. Do a new work in me. Uh, and we don't, you know, we don't read about Joshua or the people going before the Lord. It's like immediately after Jericho, they just go towards Ai. Uh, and of course, verse 3 to 5, they look at Ai from a human perspective. We don't need all the men. Just send a couple thousand. It will be fine because the men of Ai are few. First of all, what do you know about it? You, you, you're, no, you know what we need and what we don't need. You don't even fight that last battle, right? You marched in a circle around Jericho, right? Once for six days, and the seventh day you marched around it seven times, and you shouted, and the walls fell down, and, got, and the city was given into your hands. Now you're drawing up battle plans, right? Wait a second. God, what do you want us to do? They're just like, Hey, listen, we got the victory now. The victory's ours. We're good. No problem. AI is a small city. We're going to go in there. We're going to take it. No problem. Uh, you know, let's see. I, I, something I wanted to add to, to the, the, the fresh steam, that idea. The manna that God sent on the children of Israel was for that day. It was day by day, right? Every morning they would get up and there would be manna on the ground. 
God was very specific. Don't gather more than what you need for today because it'll all just rot. Every single day, go out and gather fresh manna. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, remember what he said, give us this day our daily bread and then help us through this life with forgiveness and trusting in you and doing your will and all of that stuff. But give us this day our daily bread, day by day by day. Tomorrow isn't today and yesterday isn't tomorrow. Every day, remember what Jesus said, sufficient for the day is the evil therein. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't worry about tomorrow. Do what God wants you to do today, but do what God wants you to do today. Now, uh, it says, um, let's see, da, 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 verse 5. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, Joshua chapter 2 and verses 10 to 11, when Rahab is talking to the spies, this is what she said. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and, uh, and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And now the cursed thing has come into the camp that they don't even realize yet. And they presumptuously, now listen, if they would have said, if Joshua would have went before the Lord, inquired, went to the priest, went before the, the tabernacle, uh, inquired, you know, the priest standing there with the Urim and the Thummim and, and all of these things and said, God, what do you want us to do about AI? Guess what? They never would have went up to AI. God would have said, no, I'm not giving AI into your hands right now. There's sin in the camp that needs to be dealt with first. But they presumptuously went up. And after this defeat, when they come back, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, alas. And you know, you know what alas means, right? That ain't good. Alas, that is, that is despair. That is despair. Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Remember, oh, that we would have just been left in Egypt. Oh, the pots of meat and the onions and the, the leeks and the garlic. And oh, 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 that we were still in Egypt. Remember the people. Now, here's Joshua, his first defeat. He hasn't inquired of the Lord yet, but he's crying out, and he's in despair, and he's kind of blaming it on God. Wish we would have just stayed on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. What then will you do for your great name? You see how Joshua is going into the future, telling God what's going to happen now? Now you see, God, it's over. <laughs> we're going to get it. <laughs> and now these people, are, we're going to be destroyed. Right? Wow. Wow, Josh. What is going on? So the Lord, uh, now I love this. A, a couple of things first. Uh, <laughs> Joshua is despairing. And in his despair, he kind of points the finger at God. 
Um, and, and here's the point. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Be honest. Be honest with the Lord. You understand? When you go before the Lord, you don't have to like, I better really mind my P's and Q's because you know, I don't want a lightning bolt to come out of the register. And, you know, no, no. You can bring, the Bible says, cast all your cares upon him. You can bring your anger to the Lord. You can bring your frustration to the Lord. You can bring your despair to the Lord. You can bring your sadness to the Lord. And you can say, I don't understand, God. I don't get it. I don't know what you're doing. And I don't know why this is happening in my life. And I got to tell you, I'm really, really, really upset. I'm really, really in, in despair here. Or I'm really, really angry. Or I'm really, really frustrated. You can bring that to the Lord. But don't blame him. It's not the Lord's fault. Nothing that happens to us uh, is the Lord's fault. Now, be honest, but remember who he is and who you are. Here's the bottom line. People don't want to follow the rules, and when the consequences come, or just the reality of living in a sinful, fallen world happen to them, then they blame God. Then they blame God. People don't walk according to the scriptures. People don't walk according to the will of God, into what the Bible has said, how our lives ought to look, and then... When they sow to that world, that wind, and reap the whirlwind, they blame and point fingers at God. Or when you have a Christian who is living their life before the Lord and doing the right things, and calamity befalls them anyways, they lose someone to an illness or something awful happens. Oftentimes you'll see them then, I don't understand. I'm a good Christian. Why would God do this to me? Why would God allow this to happen to me? Why is it? Um, <laughs> That's not God's fault. You understand? That we live in a fallen world. You know? I mean, who, if I ask for a, a, a show of hands, who's been affected by cancer in this room? You know, it is, it is unbelievable. It is unbelievable, the death. It is unbelievable. And understand this death was never supposed to be a, a, a natural thing for you guys. Every time you go to a funeral, it's awful. You know what I'm saying? Like, like even when you go to a believer's funeral who loved the Lord and served God with all their heart and you had the, the, the celebration of life and stuff like that, it's always still just weird. It's always a weird feeling because we were never created for death. Our God's in, initial purpose for us was that we would live in him forever. But here we are, we're in a fallen world, and guess what? Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people, right? And it stinks, it really stinks when that happens, but that's not God's fault, right? When those things come upon us and those things come into our lives, God wants us to press into him. That's when the scripture says he will use all things. God uses all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, even the bad things. God didn't do that. The Bible says, I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord of hosts, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. God doesn't make people sick. This world is sick. This world is absolutely fallen. The Bible says all of nature groans with expectation to be delivered from the sin that lives on it. All of nature even groans. Um, and so the wrong attitude to have <laughs> is to blame God. Uh, first Kings, this is interesting. First, first Kings 18, 17 to 18, this is when Ahab was the king uh, in Israel. And of course, he had turned the entire nation over to Baal worship. Uh, and so this tremendous famine came on the land. And, and Ahab blamed Elijah. 
Elijah. It was his fault, right? It was the, it was the, it was the, it was the man of God's fault. So uh, after, before, just at the end of the, of the famine, before God sends rain again, Elijah comes to confront Ahab, and they have this, this famous showdown. But when he sees Elijah for the first time, this is what Ahab says. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? <laughs> Is that you, O tr- You have brought trouble on us, Elijah, with all of your, Thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. Blah, you're worshiping Baal. Blah. And now we have a famine. It's because of you. <laughs> and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. You're out of step with God. Or his answer is no. Or it's just the trials of life, and he wants to use it to cause you to press into him. To have the attitude of Job, Job chapter 13, verse 15, he said this famous statement, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Can I say that? Can I say that? Lord, if you take everything from me, if you take everything from me, and you slay me at the end, you're still good. Like Paul, like God said to Paul, when Paul says he had this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan sent to torment him, and he cried about it, and he prayed about it to God. Now, Paul's like the best, right? You know, like one of the best ever to do it, right? Ever to walk with the Lord. And he's got this, this awful thing, whatever it was, that was tormenting him. And he cries out to God, and God says to Paul, Paul, my, my, my grace is sufficient for you. I've already given you everything that you need. Brother, you're going to glory. And on top of that, my strength is made perfect through weakness. And we're going to see that all through the Old Testament. God never wanted the people to take glory for his victory. And so even the hurts in our lives, even the, even the hardships in our lives, even the difficulties in our lives, God wants to use that to draw us closer to him and that his name would be glorified and magnified. So I love this in, uh, in, verse, in verse 10. <laughs> so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? You know, if you got kids, you know what I mean? And the kids get in despair over anything, you know what I mean? Like they go into full, full despair, you know what I mean? Over like, you know, the cookie jar is empty. You tell them they got to go to bed, you know what I mean? And alas, uh, all that I love is gone from me, you know? And they're lying on the floor and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I hope you say to them, get up, get up. Parent, don't let your kid despair. Don't let your kid do that. Don't let your kid lay on the floor and act like that. Teach, I'm not saying get up and, you know, get up. You know what I mean? Teach them. Teach them. Son, sweetheart, get up. Don't lay there in despair. Get up and move forward. Get up and be obedient. Get up. I love that. God says it. It's very simple. Get up. Why are you lying on your face? <laughs> it's like... Uh, you know, this should have been your response, Joshua. When you lost, when the people came back and 34 of you had been killed and, and, they were, and you were driven out by the inhabitants of AI, the first thing that should have come into your mind, uh-oh, what did we do, right? What did we do? Lord, where are we going in the wrong direction? God, what is it that we're doing? Show us that we need to go and turn in a different direction. Show us what it is that we need to do. So uh, God says, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. (laughs) I like that. 
amongst their own stuff. God's stuff is not my stuff. And the stuff that God says is not mine to have or that I'm not supposed to have as a Christian is not my stuff, you know? I love it when, when Jesus heals the demoniac who's, who's in the caves and they chained him and he would break the chains and all that stuff. And Jesus drives the demons out of them that we are legion, that whole thing. And, and they say, please don't send us into the abyss, but allow us, uh, allow us to, to, to go into this herd of pigs over there. And so Jesus sends them into the herd of pigs and the herd of pigs, they run and they go over the edge of a cliff into the sea, right? And all the people of that town come around and they see the man, the demoniac, standing there in his right mind, and they see Jesus, and they're looking around, and where's my pigs? Well, about your pigs. They're gone, right? Now, understand this. That was an illegal thing that they were doing, according to the law. They were not to keep pigs. They were not to raise pigs. They certainly weren't to eat pigs. Pigs are an unclean animal. They ain't kosher. They weren't supposed to have pigs. And Jesus didn't care about their pigs, right? Jesus doesn't care about my pigs either, right? The things in my life that God has said no, or God has said you shall not, that's it. That's it. <clears throat> we don't get to play games with that. Get up. Why do you lie on your face? Israel has sinned. Huh. You've put in stuff amongst your stuff that wasn't your stuff. Uh, therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among, from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to the families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Uh, it was most likely uh, here that they utilized the Urim and the Thummim, which, again, that, that's a, a, a when you go through the priestly garments, you know, back when, when God is giving Moses all the instructions for the, for the tabernacle and the, the articles of the tabernacle and the priestly garments, and we have these, this Urim and Thummim that were in the breastplate of the high priest. And, that, and by those, they would decipher the word of the Lord or the will of God. And nobody to this day has any idea how any, how any of that worked, okay? But they didn't cast lots or anything like that, so most biblical scholars believe that probably the Orem and the Thummim were, were used or utilized here uh, to find the guilty party. And the scripture says, actually Moses said this before they crossed over the Jordan River when the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh wanted to stay on that side of the Jordan River, remember, and Moses starts going after them. And they're like, hold on, Moses, we'll go over the river with you guys and we'll fight. Uh, to defeat the Canaanites, but then we want to come back on this side of the Jordan River. We love this land here. And he says, fine, 
But make sure before the Lord that you do this right thing, because if you don't do the right thing, you can be sure your sin will find you out. Isn't that true? Isn't that true, too? Your sin will find you out. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says, Jesus said this to the, to the disciples, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in, uh, in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. God is not interested in, in covering for us. You understand that, right? God is not interested in covering for you. God is interested in our confession, in our confession. Uh, it's interesting here, too, because Achan waited until the finger was pointed right at him to confess, you know? He, wanted, he made him go through all of that, you know what I mean? Picking out the tribe of Judah and then going to the family and then going to the clan, all these things, until it gets down to him, the man, and then he finally confesses. But he did confess. He said what he had done and acknowledged his sin against the Lord. And here it is, verse 19. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, and this is important, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I have done. When I saw amongst the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. Now, before we get into the horrible punishment that came upon Achan, and not only Achan, but all of his family and all that he possessed, first I want to talk about Achan's confession here. The word confess in the Greek is homologio, homologio, okay? And it literally means to say the same thing that God says. To say the same thing that God says. That's what true confession is. You know, when you're before the Lord and you're praying and you're laying out all the things, right? You see how specific Achan was? It wasn't just a Babylonian garment. I saw this beautiful Babylonian garment. And he gives the weight of the silver and the weight of the wedge of gold to the exact ounce that he took. He exactly confesses to Joshua before the Lord. First, the first thing he says is, I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel. Remember David said when he, after he had Uriah the Hittite killed, right, and then took his wife Bathsheba as his own, and he's confronted by the prophet, there's where God, uh, David writes that psalm and where he says, I, uh, Lord God, I, against you and you alone have I sinned. It's like, dude, you killed a guy. You know what I mean? You committed adultery and then covered up by killing a guy. What do you mean? It's against the Lord. The thing that matters most, the thing that matters most more than anything else is that I'm right before God. And here's the other thing. He knows anyway. You can wait for the Urim and the Thummim and the lights and the choice and the, to finally the finger to get directly on your heart before you say, okay, I confess. Or you can cast all of it upon him every single morning. God, these are the things in my life. 
These are the things in my life. And you know what? Even when we're confessing to God sometimes because we're ashamed of the things that we do or we're ashamed of the things that we've thought, we don't want to be specific with God. God, you know, you know, you know, you know, Lord, you know, you know all the stuff. Lord, you know the stuff, you know the stuff. Tell him the stuff. But he already knows. He wants to hear it anyway. He knows it. We have that all through the Old Testament where God knew something, right? But he wanted the person to go through the process so they would know it, so that they would really know it. Lord, this is what confession means. It's to say, I agree with you. That I'm saying the same thing that you're saying. And this thing in my life, Lord, is an abominable thing. This thing in my life, Lord, is an evil thing. And it ought not to be there. And yet I keep going back to it. Oh, God, forgive me. That's what God wants. That's what relationship is all about. You know, you don't hide things from your spouse. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, my, and I've talked about this before. Nikki picks up my phone all the time and goes through my phone. It's not because she doesn't trust me. After 24 years, we were pretty good there in that department with trust. She wants to know everything that's going on in my life, right? And I'm not the best communicator when it comes to that stuff, right? She gets more details from looking at my text about what my day looked like than by asking me, right? And so she likes to read my texts and stuff like that. Probably she's partially keeping an eye on me as well. You know, and that's okay. That's okay because there's nothing in my life that I want hidden from her. But because I really want to have intimacy with my wife, I want to know everything about her and I want her to know everything about me. That's where relationship, that's where you have relationship, right? Honesty. You can't have a relationship without it. Well, it's the same with the Lord. He wants your honesty. Well, you know, you know, no, no, tell him. This is what it is, this is what it was. And I confess. First John excuse me, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess homilageo, our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Galatians chapter 6, verses one says, verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And so now Achan is going to face the judgment from God, and it's the exact same judgment that the people of Jericho had, uh, had gone through. Romans chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, for there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. That's Romans chapter 2, verses 11 uh, and 12. Verse 25, and Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, and therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Now, <laughs> this judgment flies in the face of our, of our modern sensibilities but we have to remember this. This is before the new covenant of Christ's blood. You know, when you read about some of the miracles, you're going through the Old Testament. Wow, wouldn't it be cool if God did that today? Wow, wouldn't it be great if God still worked like that today? <laughs> careful, careful. Because along with all of that came the harshness of the law. And we read some of these things, how God judged and how God brought judgments. Like, oh man, I don't like that. I don't like that. Man, I just, I hate to hear that. Well, he's God, right? The old adage, he's God and I'm not. And he reserves the right to judge. And he reserves the right to judge in the way that he sees fit. Our job is to praise his name and to be obedient. That's it. That's all there is to it. I thank God every single day, okay? According to the law, 
Guess who else should have been hit, hit in the head with a stone and burned up? Me. Every day. Every day. There's things all throughout my life, peppered throughout my life, I should, have been, I should have been put to death for according to the perfect law of God. But the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and the pouring out of his blood makes me very, 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 very grateful. Uh, but here's the thing about Achan. He confessed, and though he paid the ultimate price for his sin, it is my belief that he and all of his family went from there to Abraham's bosom and are in heaven today. I believe that with all my heart. Now, you got to remember, we get a little, a little theology here, but uh, before Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave, everybody went to hell. You say, huh? Yes, everyone went to hell. And we know this through Jesus' account of Lazarus and the rich man, that hell was split into two compartments, the place for the righteous dead and the place for the unrighteous dead. But everybody who died, both the righteous and the unrighteous, from Abraham to Moses to Noah to Jonah to Achan to Joshua, all of them, they all went to hell. Why? 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 Because as the scripture teaches us in the New Testament, the blood of bulls and goats and rams and turtle doves and all this could never truly cover up and atone for our sin. It wasn't until Jesus Christ died on the cross, that all sin was completely atoned for. So now, Paul was able to say, I much rather to desire to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Because he understood, as soon as he closed his eyes in death, he was going to be standing before the throne room. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. If he was still under the law, even Paul couldn't have made it in. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ. But Achan's confession, he confessed that he had sinned against the God of Israel. He confessed exactly what he had done. And even though he still had to face the fiery judgment of God, I believe that, uh, that Achan went to Abraham's bosom. I don't know, but it seems to me if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But for you and I, aren't you thankful <laughs> for the new covenant? Aren't you thankful for the new covenant of grace and mercy and that we don't have to be judged according to the law every single day? We should be thanking God for that. Lord, thank you for your grace. The Bible says his mercy is our new every morning. And his faithfulness is great. And even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. That's the God that we serve. What we have through Jesus Christ, we'll never fully understand it. You know, the Bible talks about the angels long to look into these things. They don't get it. When they see a sinner regenerated, and then they see a sinner that's sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ, and now they're made holy, and they're, the righteousness of Christ lies on them. And all, How does that work? How does that work? And yet, that's what the Bible says, that you and I who have called on the name of Jesus Christ, we are saved, we are sanctified, we are sealed for the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit, and we belong to him. And even on your worst day, on your worst day, when you blow it and the worst you've ever blown it, you can come the very next morning and you can come before the Lord and you can say, Lord, I confess my sins. You already know, but here it is. This is what I did. This is what was in my heart. Lord, I confess it to you and I ask for your forgiveness. You're forgiven, man. You are forgiven because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. So we're gonna have our, our uh, ushers come on up and we're gonna share in the Lord's table together. And this is what it's all about. Jesus Christ uh, specifically instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. Uh, on the night that he was betrayed at the Passover, when Jesus was sharing that with his disciples, is when he gave them communion, what we call communion, the Lord's table. And it was the, inst the institution of the new covenant. 
And he wanted the church going forward from this place to do this often whenever they came together and always, always, always to do it in remembrance of him. That's why it says that on the table. And do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. So that when we share of this together, when we take this, this matzah and we take this, this juice and we, we drink it and we eat it, we remember what Jesus Christ said. This is representative of my body, which is broken for you. Isaiah said, by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus Christ took our punishment on himself. He took the punishment of Achan on himself. You know that? He died for Achan's sins that day too. He took all of our punishment upon himself. He allowed his body to be broken. And he, and he allowed his blood to be spilled out. And what Satan never could have possibly fathomed that day was that the ultimate sacrifice for all the sins of all mankind for all time were being offered up that day through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ wasn't losing. Jesus Christ was being victorious. And so here we sit 2,000 years approximately later, and we share the same table, and we share the same Christ, and we have the exact same promises, the exact same promises, that Jesus Christ, if he's the Lord and Savior of your life, he seeks to take you through this life, to keep you in the will of the Father, and to use everything that befalls you or happens to you, good, bad, or indifferent, to draw you closer to the Father, to purify you, and to use you to be a light to a world that desperately needs to see that. They need to see people going through pain with Jesus. They need to see people going through heartache and hurt with Jesus. And they need that testimony of somebody standing up and saying, because my hope isn't in this world, you understand? My hope isn't in this world. My hope is in the world to come. And I know that I have a place there because of what Jesus Christ did for me that day. Amen? Come on up, guys, and we'll, we'll pass these out. This is a great time to pray and get before the Lord as these are being passed out and just confess. Put it all before him in your heart and in your mind. You are forgiven in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful truth.
Jesus Christ gave it all so that we could have eternal life. The Lord Jesus gave it all so that we might have the relationship restored with the Father. And the Lord Jesus gave it all so that you and I, you and I might have eternal life. That's your destiny. That's our hope. That's our joy. That's our peace. That's our comfort. That's our rest. That this world, we're pilgrims. We're just passing through. Like James says, we're missed, man. We're here for a minute and we're gone. What is everlasting and what lasts forever is our soul and our spirit, and whether or not it belongs to Jesus Christ. So let's share in how he made that possible. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the sacrifice that he willingly gave so that we could be called your sons and daughters once more, Father. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to shine the light that you put in each of us, Lord, to those who have not yet come to faith uh, in you through Jesus Christ, <clears throat> that we would shine the light of love and of grace and of truth, Lord, and we would never waver from the left or the right, and we would not allow the accursed things, Lord, to disqualify us, Lord, from being used uh, for your glory and for your purposes and for your kingdom. Help us to cleanse ourselves from uncleanness, Lord, so we can be vessels of gold and silver used in your service, Lord, in the great house that you've prepared. Father, we thank you 
for who you are, and we thank you for taking us and choosing us, Lord, and for saving our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys.